Good morning, Minecrafters, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 12, Codependency Be Gone, Part 2. So, last week, we began our discussion on, you know, climbing out of codependency after the first couple episodes of, you know, ways that it manifests, and it manifests in so many different ways. So I would strongly encourage you, if you haven't uh, listened to those yet and you're listening to this one, I would strongly encourage you to go back and, you know, sort of hear all the different ways that codependency can manifest because it is so common. And so, uh, and then last week, talking about, you know, taking that big leap forward onto the path of recovery from codependency, we talked about detaching and how detachment's gotten a bad rap because it, many people think it just means you know, just severing relationships with everybody around you. And that's really not about that, right? It's about um, we can detach with love and distance from the behavior that um, we're so involved with. And then we get so frustrated with and annoyed with. So this week, we're going to start out with uh, yet another way to climb out, which is about sort of the awareness. Remember, and awareness is key, right? The awareness of reacting because many codependents are reactionaries, just walking around reacting with guilt and anger and self-hatred and, you know, being hurt about, you know, most everything going on around them, um, responding with, you know, these like, you know, let's say microaggressions of trying to control people and the atmosphere and the dog and the furniture and trying to control everything around us. Like we talked about these um, you know, reacting with caretaking acts and, you know, all kinds of passive aggressive stuff and desperation and even rage and fury. Codependents, in fact, are often, I'm saying often because it's difficult to box people, you know, in general. Codependents are often very, uh, walking around with a lot of anxiety underneath there and very fear-based. You know, and so uh, we've been discussing, you know, Melody Beatty's contribution with her book, Codependent No More, and she's just got so many good things to say. So when we're talking about, um, it's, what we're talking about is kind of like hypersensitivity to the feelings and behavior of others. You know, codependents are very much focused on what's going on around them rather than the internal, you know, their own internal self-monitoring system. They're focused very much on all these feelings and everything going around them and reacting to most of it most of the time. So, you know, a large part of the recovery process, right, is bringing that focus back on the inside. And again, as we are creatures of habit, it's important to realize that none of this is going to happen overnight. That it's all about choice, making a conscious decision, you know, to um, cease to be living this way, which isn't um, desirable, right? We have to also decide it's not desirable because we talked about that, well, several times about we continue to do something when there's payoff in it and the payoff doesn't have to be positive, right? People don't, you know, people shoot heroin because there's payoff in it, even though we all know that road, right? So um, also this, you know, this reacting can have a lot of payoff in it. Self-punishment can have a whole lot of payoff in it. So it really comes down to realizing what's not working for us anymore. And then, you know, kind of consciously choosing to make a change and have the courage to do so, right? And then there's this element of patience, which is what I certainly admit is not something the good Lord put in my gift bag. 
um, to have the patience, you know, not understand that this process you know, is going to take a little bit and it's gradual and also know that it will get easier, right? Whatever we practice, we eventually get good at. And that maintenance thing, it gets, it gets much, much easier as we um, kind of take on these codependent demons one at a time. So <clears throat> codependents often wonder, you know, why are, why are we walking around feeling? Everybody's feelings in the room. It's like we have these, you know, little antennas or something picking up on, you know, so-and-so is angry in the corner. So-and-so is feeling left out in the other corner. So-and-so who's got some kind of crisis we're not sure about, but we're feeling all of her anxiety and her everything. And, and, and why? Okay, so there's a reason many codependents are walking around as reactionaries. And um, Melanie says, Often, codependents react because she says we don't feel good about ourselves. And right there, it makes a whole lot of sense because it can often be easier to jump into somebody's life across the room or the couch or whatever than it is to be our own skin. So that makes a lot of sense, you know, in general. She says we, we, we react because most people react. So sometimes we're reacting to others' reactions. And codependents can often attract each other. So think about where this is going, right? Like a, you know, just like this endless cycle. Um, we react because we think we have to react. That's a big one. Codependents are so focused on what's going on around them instead of, you know, having a more in, intrinsic locus of control that then they're all, they're also guessing a lot, right? So we, we think we should react and that's even gotten more complicated in the age of, you know, uh, the internet and social media because codependency back in the, you know, 70s, um, which was mostly referred to as enabling back then, there was no internet. So we actually were at least reacting to faces. Now, you know, codependents are like in this, you know, it's like catnip, right? They're, they're reacting to a text message where you cannot see any facial expressions or any body you know, mannerisms or any kind of tone or anything. So now it's like, take the same reactionary and put a blindfold on them. Um, and, and that's sort of exacerbated codependency to the nth degree, in my opinion. And here's probably the biggest one. Often codependents react, she says, because we think things shouldn't be happening the way they are. Okay. So we keep, you know, kind of you know, drawing the connections to positive psychology and mind craft, right? And there's just so many just clear connections here. And this is definitely one of the clearest because, you know, we've talked about acceptance. Acceptance is the key to most problems. I'm not the one who came up with that. I believe that's a 12-step program, um, one-liner too, which I'm a big fan of their one-liners. Acceptance is a key to most problems, and it's so true. And we're not talking about throwing in the towel and quitting. That's a whole different dynamic. We're talking about this is the way it is. And actually, you know, learning to become, un, uh, un, I'm sorry, learning to become comfortable with the uncomfortable. And you know, I feel like if I had a $10 bill for every time I've said that lately with the pandemic situation, um, but this is true. And we often don't like being uncomfortable. No one wants to be uncomfortable. It's the same reason people don't you typically enjoy going to the dentist we don't at whatever level people don't want to be uncomfortable and so we often shirk away and figure out a way to 
gloss it over, smooth it over, hide, dive under a cushion, metaphorically speaking, so as to avoid being uncomfortable. You know, obviously this is, I find this very interesting because obviously life, you know, is going to have moments, you know, it's just, that's, we all know how life goes, right? Curveballs here and there. And we can, you know, catch them and run with them or, you know, kind of dodge, you know, dodge the, dodge the curveball, dodge the bullet. It doesn't tend to work out very well. And, and another, um, another one, you know, cliche, as they say, though, it's a good one, is the only way out is through. Man, that was never more true. You know, I'm thinking with the, with the Rona going on, if there, we can try to go up and over something or around it or under it. And in reality, the universe or God, whoever, whatever works for you, we all know how this works. We can avoid something for so long and eventually it's just going to be like that life lesson that kind of comes crashing down on our heads to get our attention. I mean, that's just, you know, how, how it works. And there's also a bit of a paradox here because control, and remember, there's so many ways for it to manifest, like we've said. In general, control is a kind of a main theme with codependence. And they, they can be the controllers or the controllees. Um, and then, again, we talked about the dance. So typical, typically, there is some kind of control issue there. And what's interesting is that for many codependents, they're not realizing that, that they're kind of abdicating control. They're just giving it up really on their best Italian China, like, and not realizing it that they're, you know, that's like with their consent, though it's unconscious. So they're not, you know, realizing that they're allowing this to happen. And so Melanie says, she says, we jump into the first thing that comes our way and then wallow in it. We think the first thought that comes into our heads and then elaborate on it. We say the first words on our tongues and sometimes regret them. We do the first thing that comes to mind, usually without thinking about it. That is the problem. We are reacting without thinking, without honest thought about what we need to do and how we need to handle the situation. Our emotions and behaviors are being controlled. So there you go. Our emotions and behaviors are being controlled, triggered by everyone and everything in our environment. We are directly allowing others to tell us what to do. That means we have lost control. We are being controlled. You know, and in the kind of the context of, the, of our conversation about codependency, many codependents aren't getting that they're walking around like marionettes, you know, with their strings being tugged this way and tugged that way, you know, externally, and that they're not, they're not in control. And the reason they're not in control is because they forfeited, they forfeited their, their power, like gave it up on a, you know, again, silver platter and saying, here you go, but they don't get that. Instead, they walk around feeling like victims um, and feeling you know, the payoff, remember payoff, not necessarily healthy, the payoff of being a victim. And a victim really um, is sort of synonymous with powerlessness. You know, and this just has a huge, huge price with it because giving up our powers is is sacrificing the joy, you know, of really embracing and living as our most authentic self. And also, um our inner peace is sacrificed with that huge, huge price to pay with walking around like a marionette, 
and being a reactionary. You know, I also think a lot of codependence because, and it's not with judgment, I'm just not into judging, right? It's an observation and, and it's, again, when we're, when we're stuck in whatever it is we're stuck in, whether it's, you know, anxiety, depression, codependency, a mix of whatever. Once again, it's like being in the eye of a storm. We often, you know, we kind of know something's not right. We're, we feel out of sync with ourselves. We don't feel in alignment, as I like to say, right? Um, the outsides aren't matching the insides. And we often, we often don't, we just know we're out of whack, but we, we don't have the clarity. We don't have the clarity when we're in the eye of the storm to be able to kind of discern what's going on around us. You know, we don't, that part is very, very foggy and unclear when we're actually in it. So one, one sort of uh, activity, I guess, for lack of a better word to say, that the codependent, what can really benefit the codependent is journaling. And it sounds like cliche and touchy feely. No, really, everybody says that to me. This is, this is a little different. So we have the gratitude journal. Remember three things every day, just one sentence, then another sentence, another sentence. I am grateful for. Keep that separate because that takes literally 60 seconds or less. At least it does for me. And there's no, you know, rule or cap on how many journals you can have. So I would keep the gratitude journal entirely separate in a different place in the room, different, quick, fast. And then another idea actually comes from Julia Cameron. She's the author of The Artist's Way which is not a book about codependency. It's actually about um, kind of working somebody through a block to creativity. So she's more specifically focused on writer's block, um, but it can be any block in creativity. It's a very, very good book. And what Julia talks about is she calls them the morning pages. And this is a fantastic idea. So and it ha- the, the key with it, it has to be kind of immediately when you wake up. So the, the three things for the gratitude journal move right over, right? Or do it the reverse, whatever. Um, because the morning pages are about not worrying about grammar, not worrying about just kind of throwing up, regurgitating. Everything that's in your mind doesn't have to be in any kind of in any kind of order. Forget like you're handing it in for third grade to be corrected, just bleh, throw it right up. Because that window, when we first wake up, the subconscious is still very active. You know, it's obviously not the same is being in a dream state, though that that first, you know, 15 minutes or so, we're still kind of in that. And wow, is it revealing. I did that for a while when I was reading her book. It's very revealing as far as what's going on in our mind. So if the codependent is in that reactionary mode and they're having issues with this person and that person and this person and that person, write it down, write, write all of it, how you're feeling, what you're thinking, what's bothering you about them, um, anything and just admit it to yourself, right? To thine own self be true. And a lot of clarity can come out about what's going on in your head with the morning pages. It's a fantastic tool. So we're going to talk about, you know, kind of, you know, setting, setting ourselves free from this. And, um, another, you know, 12, 12 stepper here is let go and let God. And you can, um, you know, turn that into your higher power, whatever spirituality, religion you are or practice or the universe or whatever like that. But it's about surrendering. That's really the big thing. And I'm, I'm actually thinking of a, a good friend of mine who I happened to teach with at Champlain. And he's, he's constantly, not constantly, frequently talking about um, what, a, what an illusion control is. And he's so right. I mean, it's such, it's such an illusion that we just 
seem to try to dig our claws into. And so, you know, Melanie says that, you know, codependents are not the people who make things happen. She said codependents are the people who consistently and with a great deal of effort and energy try to force things to happen. And again, here's a, another connection, um, you know, to Minecraft or uh, in positive psychology. When we're, uh, remember, um, one of my favorite definitions of stress, because there are many out there, right? It's wanting the present moment to be something other than it is. Wanting this moment right now to be different, to be something other than it is. You know, the codependents, sadly, you know, their valuable life minutes are being spent on other people. So they're not being in their moment in their life. They're, you know, attaching themselves to everybody else's moments and life minutes. And by doing so, you know, their own valuable, valuable life minutes are sliding right down the rabbit hole, never to return. So with that said, mindfulness, you know, is kind of, an, uh, you know, the opposite, an opposite kind of mindset or lifestyle, I like to say lifestyle, um, from that of the codependent. So here are the, some of the reasons codependents who feel the need to control. Remember, this is not everybody. There's the controlee, too, and there's all different things. But that codependent has got a real need for control. She says, we control in the name of love. We do it because we're only trying to help. We do it because we know best how things should go and how people should behave. We do it because we're right and they're wrong. We control because we're afraid not to do it. We do it because we don't know what else to do. We do it to stop the pain. We control because we think we have to. We control because we don't think. We control because controlling is all we can think about. That is so true uh, from some of the folks I've met in my life who have this issue. They they get, it's it's actually, I would say it falls under almost, it's almost a separate addiction, but we'll just not say that for right now. Kind of a, it's an obsession with control. Ultimately, may control because that's the way we've always done things. Tyrannical and dominating, some rule with an iron hand from a self-appointed throne. They are powerful. They know best. And by God, it will be done this way. They will see to it. Now, then she kind of gets into talking about the manipulators, which, you know, manipulation is synonymous with control, right? It's, it's just the only difference is one is overt, where it's right out where everybody can see it, right? The tyrant just kind of controlling things. And then there's manipulators that are, you know, kind of manipulate, you know, controlling in a more covert fashion behind the backs of other people, kind of under a blanket behind the curtain. Um, but control is control. It's just a different way of doing it. So the manipulator, the more, more covert controller, Melanie says that they hide behind a costume of sweetness and niceties and secretly go about their business, other people's business, Sometimes others are sighing and crying. They, they claim inability. They proclaim their dependence, announce their overall victimization, and successfully control through weakness. The thing is they're still controlling. They are so helpless. They need your cooperation so badly. They can't live without it. This is making me a little sick just reading this. Sometimes the weak are the most powerful manipulators and controllers. They have learned to tug at the guilt and pity strings 
of the world. Wow. I mean, if you're hearing this, just hear of how exhausting this sounds. It just sounds, you know, to have every minute of every day kind of, you know, or most minutes of most days being wrapped up in all this. And the thing to realize is that there are lots and lots of tools in the codependence toolbox, lots and lots of different tools, just like um, any other kind of tools. There's all kinds of tools that they use and all kinds of tactics that they use to, you know, force the people in their life to behave a certain way. I like that this um, Melanie says, despite the tactics, the goals remain the same. Make other people do what you want them to do. Make them behave as you think they should. Don't let them behave in ways you think they shouldn't, but probably would without your assistance. Quote, unquote, she has that. Force life's events to unravel and unfold in the manner and at such times as you have designated. Do not let what's happening or might happen occur. Hold on tightly and don't let go. We have written the play and we will see to it that the actors behave and the scenes unfold exactly as we have decided they should. Wow. Listen to the ego involvement there and also the injury. Never mind uh, that we continue to, to buck reality. If we charge ahead insistently enough, we can, in parentheses, we believe, stop the flow of life, transform people and change things to our liking. And obviously, obviously, um, when we get into this this mode and this dynamic, we are fooling ourselves. So once again, I just want to remind everybody to, you know, that we, these codependent behaviors, which is what they are, doesn't mean they're who we are. They're behaviors we're doing, and they're behaviors that we learned due to um, a dysfunctional, childhood and that's what happened and we learned how to survive as kids so when you think of it that way how much you know let's picture yourself at three four five six seven eight whatever how much of anything can be a child's fault when it involves you know uh an adult you know zero is really the answer and as you crawl up to teenagers it gets you know it's still very little if anything can be that child's fault we learned how to survive by, you know, um, by trying to grab control of our environment. You know, and now a lot of these behaviors have become implicit or unconscious. So now here we are as adult people, and these behaviors um, are no longer serving the same purpose as they did as kids. And um, we need to start to kind of uncover what's going on here to have the, you know, have the courage to really take a good look because that's the only way it's, it's going to go away. Again, the only way out is through. So once again, I just want to remind everybody to, you know, that we, these codependent behaviors, which is what they are, doesn't mean they're who we are. They're behaviors we're doing, and they're behaviors that we learned due to um, a dysfunctional childhood, and that's what happened. And we learned how to survive as kids. So when you think of it that way, how much you know, let's picture yourself at three, four, five, six, seven, eight, whatever. How much of anything can be a child's fault when it involves, you know, uh, an adult? You know, zero is really the answer. And as you crawl up to teenagers, it gets, you know, it's still very little, if anything, can be that child's fault. We learned how to survive by, 
you know, um, by trying to grab control of our environment. You know, so taking this step, you know, like kind of blind faith, as they say, because the codependent is going to be uh, quite unable to to see around that corner, to see the freedom that awaits, to and to 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 picture feeling how light, to picture the levity of being able to detach and surrender. They're not they're not there yet. So it does kind of take first of all awareness, second of all conscious choice that I do not want to live like this anymore. And then really blind faith and also the acceptance that um, it's going to take a while and that it may not be comfortable. In fact, we pretty much know it isn't going to be comfortable because these habits are largely unconscious, have been there for a really long time. Remember that the brain likes to do what's familiar and what's easy. So it's going to kind of resist when we try to redirect it. The brain is going to resist in a sense when we try to redirect it. And realize, again, as we're creatures of habit, you know, giving up control, even though we don't really have it to begin with, but the illusion of control, giving that up can be absolutely not just scary, but terrifying for the codependent because, you know, latching on, that latching on thing, again, is, is coming from a place of survival, a very, you know, a very fear-based, anxious thinking. So, you know, for them to even picture letting go of that, um, can seem next to impossible. Having this, you know, and having this awareness that, you know, the path is going to be, you know, somewhat bumpy at the same time as we are also getting some fulfillment along the way because there are going to be lots of little, little steps and little aha moments along the way, which will fill us up in a healthy way. Uh, perhaps even some purely joyful moments as we make strides, you know, kind of mixed in with hitting a speed bump here and there, because remember the brain is in a pattern. So uh, there's going to be a lot of reinforcement that's good and healthy and a lot to look forward to of, you know, the new you that's light, lively, and free. That's what Melanie says. She says, uh, detach, surrender. I mean, just give, give up this idea of control. It's illusion anyway. It's not real. So why are we hanging on to something that isn't real anyway? Detach, surrender. Sometimes when we do that, the result we have been waiting and hoping for happens quickly, almost miraculously. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it never happens, but you will benefit. You don't have to stop caring or loving. You don't have to tolerate abuse. Certainly you don't have to tolerate abuse. You don't have to abandon constructive problem-solving methods such as professional intervention. I'm a big fan of talk therapy. You only need to put your emotional, mental, spiritual, and physical hands back in your own pockets and leave things and people alone. Let them be. Make any decisions you need to make to take care of yourself, but don't make them to control other people. Start taking care of yourself. Self-care is a good thing. Self-care is not a bad word or phrase. Depends if it's dashed or not, right? Uh, Taking care of you is a good thing. And since so many codependents underneath it all um, are really um, have a rather large deficit of positive self-esteem, the codependent underneath it all often doesn't perceive themselves as being worthy of being treated so well, which makes it hard 
are difficult to treat ourselves well because that's right in the vault there, the feeling of, of not being lovable or valuable or worthy or just not enough in a million different ways can make it tough. So that that's where we, we bring the fake it till you make it, you know, model in there. Um, and to consciously talk ourselves through, and it might take that for a while. I am worth it. I am enough. I am lovable. I am enough. I love me. I like me. Even if it's painful, nobody even says you have to look in a mirror right away, but just to fake it till you make it to, 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 so, you know, to kind of get you to this place where you can start to make strides of letting go of needing to control other people and focusing more on yourself. Because again, should be the 11th commandment. Thou shalt not control other people because we can't, we can't, or thou shalt not try to change other people. That's even better. We can only change ourselves and we can only make ourselves happy. That's it. You know, and then by giving up this illusion of control, it's not just illusional, it's delusional. I mean, think about this. We can't, people are going to do what they want to anyway. And it just causes all kinds of resentment and everything else. It's just the only way to really know this is to do it. And then once you let go of this illusion of control and you look back, you're like, oh my God, how could I have ever thought that was a good idea. And it's because again, it's implicit behavioral stuff. But once you remove from it, it's going to be this huge aha of, wow, that was just so intense, so unnecessary, and sadly robbed a lot of valuable life minutes. But you know what the positive is? I got all kinds of time in front of me. I got time to turn this around and time, perfect or beautiful segue, to let go of this role of victim, which was all, you know, is also a way to control for some codependence, because remember, it looks different on different people. There's a whole lot of um, uh, false, a false sense of power involved with the role of victim. And right here, I should give Stephen Cartman the, the credit within Melanie Melanie's book, Codependent No More, because apparently this is referred to as the Cartman drama triangle and the accompanying roles of rescuer, persecutor, and victim. Um, Melody Beatty kind of talks about the formula for it because many codependents are compulsive caretakers, right? So we said not, not in a good way. You know, it's all about the approval seeking for the codependent and the, the filling up, filling up the self-esteem, which of course is false. So it's, it's, you know, meaning obviously not real. It, uh, this approval seeking for, for do-gooding and rescuing. And she says they rescue, then they persecute, and then they end up victimized. That right there is exactly what it is. So, so this is a really common, common thing. The people-pleasing behavior, you know, the coming in, you know, turning into a human doing rather than a human being. And remember, it's about not feeling enough. So the codependent seeks that feeling of enough via doing things and getting the approval of other people, right? Which is not the authentic self. That would be the ego or this, you know, the false self. And so uh, Melanie talks about the rescuing and caretaking. She says that, that this, this is, this means, you know, basically what they sound like. She says, we rescue people from their responsibilities. We take care of people's responsibilities for them. Later, we get mad at them for what we've done. Then we feel used and sorry for ourselves. This is the pattern 
of the triangle. Man, that is spot on. I cannot tell you how many times I saw this or experienced this or whatever back when I was therapizing many moons ago. I saw this frequently, very, very, very frequently. She says, or Scott Engelston says, uh, we, we rescue anytime we take responsibility for another human being. For that person's thoughts, feelings, decisions, behaviors, growth, well-being, problems, or destiny. So here's some specific examples for you, okay, of what rescuing might look like. And you can just maybe think about this list, see if you've, uh, you know, experienced this in yourself or maybe somebody else. I know I have definitely experienced this in a myriad of ways, therapizing with people I know, and a few couple of things in myself years ago before I had the light bulb go on. So... Here we go. Uh, a rescuing or caretaking move could be doing something we really don't want to do. Saying yes when we when we mean no. That certainly is a popular one. Doing something for someone, although that person is capable of and should be doing it for him or herself. Meeting people's needs without being asked and before we've agreed to do so. Doing more than a fair share of work after our help is requested. Consistently giving more than we receive in a particular situation, common one. Fixing people's feelings. Doing people's thinking for them. Speaking for another person. Suffering people's consequences for them. Solving people's problems for them. Putting more interest and activity into a joint effort than the other person does. Not asking for what we want, need, and desire. This is, that's an amazing one because that last one there, you know, um, directly relates to what we were saying just before this is that the codependent is running around being a human doing because he or she or they just are walking around not, not feeling valuable, right? And so they're obviously not going to be as good at getting their own needs want, their own needs wanted, jeepers, their own needs met are asking for speaking up when they have a want, need, or desire. It makes, it makes, it makes great sense. You know, and this sort of relationship between the rescuer and the victim is not only fascinating. I just, I'm just fascinated in the mind in general. I just love how we all think it's just incredibly interesting to me and it can also shift. And it's very important to know that it can shift. And uh, remember the codependency is a dance. It can be all kinds of different dances Shifting who's the leader and who's the follower. And, you know, Melanie, Melanie says we rescue, quote unquote, victims, people who we believe are not capable of being responsible for themselves. The victims actually are capable of taking care of themselves, even though we and they don't admit it. Usually our victims are just hanging around that corner of the triangle, waiting for us to make our move and jump on the triangle with them. That is brilliant. And I don't know, you know, for so much of this is unconscious, right? So when the person, when they're getting ready to swoop in as a rescuer in the great white hope, right? They're smelling on some level, probably not conscious. In order to swoop in and do a rescue, think about what it's saying is about the other person. All this unsaid, right? They're deficient in some way. They're weak in some way. They're um, incompetent in some way because we're swooping in from a, from a higher place to, you know, help them in some way because they need us. They're coming up of a place that's less than 
we are. They're incapable on some level. Think about what that's saying. It's, it's very, very ego-driven, right? Very, very ego-driven. And of course, you know, the, you know, the, the sort of crack fix that the codependent is looking for is for somebody to gush and goop and goop and throw up all over them of how wonderful they are and that, that approval. And, you know, if it wasn't for you and thank you and, oh my gosh, what would I have done without you? And blah, 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 blah. That's like the dope fix with this whole thing. So often what happens is um, that doesn't happen or it does. And it's not, it's appreciation, but it's not enough appreciation or whatever. And then we move to the next corner which is the persecuted corner of the triangle. And, and this might not happen each and every time because that approval is there sometimes, obviously, or we wouldn't continue to chase it down. We have to be reinforced to want to do it again. Right? So it's kind of this intermittent reinforcement. It's also that, that part where again, it's, it's some approval, but not enough. And then um, we often become resentful. And I, when, again, when I think of resentment, I think of barbells, you know, like, in a gym, like those huge, heavy weights. Resentment is just heavy, 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 heavy on the shoulders. And also angry. We get pissed off. You know, how come, you know, I drove around in my minivan to all these PTO meetings, breaking, baking brownies every single time and picked up, brought so-and-so's kids and so-and-so's kids and that so-and-so's kids. Thankfully, I have enough room in my van. I took them to the last, you know, eight baseball games. And we start to get pissed. Like people are not only not appreciating me, but now they're expecting it. How dare they? You know, this is kind of the classic doormat situation, which, you know, many people think of codependence where they've got, you know, the word welcome tattooed on their forehead. And then, you know, they've got people, you know, kind of stepping all over them. And then all of a sudden they, they kind of like rise up and say, hey, well, they actually say it or not, but they get pissed. Notice, notice. I'm doing all this for everybody and no one cares. No one is seeing what a, what no one is seeing and noticing and appreciating what a good person I am. Notice me, notice me, notice what a good person I am. Now, quite obvious, obviously we felt, you know, the approval on the inside, we felt enough underneath it all. We obviously wouldn't feel the need to go looking for all that validation around us by doing all kinds of good things and caretaking and rescuing and, brownie baking to the, you know, ninth, tenth degree and all that. Obviously, if that feeling of enough were already there, we wouldn't be so compelled to search for it externally. Okay, now a good thing to do here, again, go back to the morning pages and, and just a reminder, it has to be kind of like right when you wake up, um, that and the gratitude journal. Gratitude journal can also be done at night. I do it in the morning because I just kind of want to, it's fresh and I want to do it, but I know people that like to do that at the end of the day, which is fine. This, the journal, the morning pages have to be obviously in the morning, but like not even a delay, get your coffee two hours later kind of thing. If you want it to all be fresh in your mind, what's really been rolling through your mind when you were sleeping, it helps to do this right away. So with this kind of throw up, um, you know, uh, what, what, what you feel responsible for and don't over, don't overthink at this moment. Just even if you think you have the tiniest bit of involvement with responsibility. Just throw it all down on the paper. And then uh, afterwards go through and, you know, what, what part of this might belong to somebody else. Um, and, and also um, it's also good to make a list of the rescues. If you can keep up with this, anything that might even be considered a rescue. And what's, what's good about this is, is as you know, we're in recovery from these codependent dynamics along the way, we can, you know, eventually once we, 
you know, kind of gather some momentum here, look back and see, wow. And, you know, there'd be a light bulb going on. Like, I can't believe I did this, this, that, that, and that, and this for the PTO or whoever. And kind of be seeing the progress along the way and, and be seeing um, sort of some of the unnecessary responsibility taking we've done. Some of the, you know, the unnecessary rescues, the unnecessary caretaking, um, and also the, the control involved. And it can really help with having this written down to, to kind of track our progress. And it also can be, be very uplifting when we realize that there has been progress. And that's when you give yourself the way to go slap on the back. Okay, so just a quick recap here on our uh, path to recovery from codependent dynamics. Remember to, you know, separate this as a behavior from who you are. And that's in general, right? We're on an anti-shame campaign. And once we become aware, we say way to go because we're aware, right? Then the conscious choice that I don't want to live like this anymore. Okay, so now specifically with our content and what we're talking about here, in the last episode, we were talking about detaching, how important it is to take care of you. Um, it's not about severing anything necessarily. We'll get into a thing on the toxics later. But for right now, detaching, just detach means to love from a distance and also to surrender, let go and let God, your higher power or the universe, whatever it is that works for you. And this means realizing that control is an illusion which is going to be a tough one for the codependent, right? It's not only an illusion, it's a delusion because we can't control anybody but ourselves. And even that has a large element of illusion to it, right? So that's where we are right now. And setting ourselves free, you know, comes sort of after we kind of get the rest of that, the detaching, the surrendering, um, realizing that we that control is an illusion and a delusion, and to kind of stop trying to have our our spoon in everybody's soup, put our pat, our own hands back in our own pockets kind of thing. And to be able to recognize when we are caretaking in a codependent manner, rescuing, um, controlling, manipulating, and trying to manage the behavior of people around us to, to be all of that. And, and with that, we can recognize when we are either in a victim role ourselves or remember the triangle thing or moving towards to rescue a victim out of their place. Realize the message of that. That's about us needing the unhealthy fulfillment of rising them up to our, you know, the level of our almighty selves. Okay. Once we realize that it helps significantly and to let go, to let go basically of any of this, Bring our, bring our hands and put them back into our own pockets and focus on our own thoughts, our own feelings, and our own behavior. And on that note, I'd like to thank all of my wonderful Minecrafters across the entire world for listening today. And today, a special shout out to Argentina. Muchas gracias, Argentina. And on that note, this is Kimberly Quinn signing off for Northern Vermont. Have a mindful day.